Welcome to the Show Me Education podcast. Join us as we share best practices and show you the amazing and meaningful work of educators across Missouri and beyond. The mission of the Show Me Education podcast is to share stories that resonate with you and allow you to walk away feeling energized and inspired to improve education in your own community. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the learning. Hello there, and welcome to episode 38 of the Show Me Education podcast. My name is Kelly Wilson, and I am Assistant Director at Southeast Regional Professional Development Center at Southeast Missouri State University, and one of the Show Me Education podcast core team members. I will be your host for today's episode, which focuses on classroom management and kicking the year off right. Today's guests are the Southeast Missouri Regional Teachers of the Year, Katherine Inman and Heather Helley. They share their insights on classroom management and setting the stage at the beginning of the year. Based on their experience in the classroom, they discuss some of the keys to effective classroom management, strategies they implement, and practical tips and ideas for kicking the school year off right. They give us a glimpse into their classrooms, and you'll hear them talk about building relationships, classroom culture and environment, establishing clear expectations, practicing routines and procedures, active engagement, organization, and more. To learn more about today's guests and for additional resources, you can check out the show notes at bit.ly slash showmeedu. Also, be sure to check out the show on social media by searching for Show Me Education Podcast. Finally, if you are in the Southeast Missouri region, you can stay connected with us on social media by following at Southeast RPDC and sign up to receive our monthly e-newsletter at bit.ly slash RPDC news. With that, enjoy the episode. Are you looking for a new and exciting professional development opportunity for your staff? Do you need help with documenting success-ready student activities for teachers? Let your Career Pathways consultant help. Through a DESE grant, your district can provide teachers with externships, career and technical learning experiences, or become a Career Pathways school. For more information, contact your Regional Pathways consultant. We are ready to help. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Show Me Education podcast. I have with me today two very special guests the Southeast Missouri Regional Teachers of the Year, Catherine Inman and Heather Helley. Catherine Inman is a fifth grade teacher at Greenville R2 School District, and Heather Helley is an elementary and middle school music teacher at Scott City R1 School District. Catherine and Heather, congratulations again on this honor. Thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, before we get into today's topic, why don't you each share with the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background in education? And Heather, if you want to start us off. Sure. Um, I've been teaching at Scott City Schools since uh, the year 2000, um, after I graduated from Southeast Missouri State University with a dual certification in music education. I'm instrumental and vocal certified. Um, I started there in 2000, like I said, and it's 
been great. I teach um, pre-K all the way up to sixth grade. And um, I have a choir as well that I've developed over time. Um, back in 2010, we started that and we travel with them as well. It's an elementary and middle school choir. And um, so I, I think that's all I can think of right now, but um, I have a wide range of students and get to enjoy spending time with them for quite a few years. So I developed quite a few relationships with my students. That's awesome. Thank you. We're glad to have you. Thank you. All right, I'm Catherine and this is my eighth year teaching. Um, I went back to school after being a stay-at-home mom um, as a non-traditional student and graduated with my degree in elementary education. Um, with, um, and I, I started teaching in Van Buren and then Poplar Bluff and my kids were going to school in Greenville. So eventually got on at Greenville um, where this is my fifth year teaching fifth grade, which happens to be um, right where I feel I need to be. I get to focus on ELA um, and that age group works really well for me. Um, I just, I guess, um, I can't think. I, I, I help with the elementary beta club. Um, I'm their, the main sponsor. I've started the recycling club, which we call Trash Busters. So we recycle all of our white paper here at school. We also um, did a big, big project a couple of years ago where we collected lids and um, got two buddy benches through Green Tree Plastics um, for our playground in Williamsville Elementary. And then I help with the academic and math ball team. So I get a chance to to work with kids that aren't just in fifth grade as well. So I get to build yeah. those relationships too. Sounds like you both wear many hats. As educators, I think most of us can relate to that. For sure. That's great. Well, thank you both again. And I'm really looking forward to hearing both of your perspectives on today's topic. So we'll go ahead and jump right in. Um, for the listeners, Catherine, Heather, and I got together and brainstormed topics for this episode and landed on classroom management. Um, as you all know, we are quickly approaching back to school time, ready or not, right? <laughs> and we all know how important classroom management is, especially at the beginning of the year. So we felt like this would be a timely and valuable conversation. Um, and this is a topic that both Catherine and Heather are very passionate about. So to start off, based on your years of experience in the classroom, what would you say are the keys to effective classroom management? Catherine, if you want to start. Sure. Um, well, since I've taught, I taught second grade all the way through ninth grade, and then fifth grade is where I've landed. Um, something I've found that works with every grade is you start, you have to have very clear expectations for what you expect in your classroom, um, whether that be behavior or how you expect things to run, where you where you want everything, uh, where you want them to turn stuff in. Um, if you can set that foundation at the beginning of the year from day one, then you practice, practice, practice over and over again um, for those first few weeks. And then sometimes if you have a break like Thanksgiving or Christmas, you need to, re you need to go back over those, whether you call them expectations or norms. A lot of people call them norms. Um, what you expect of your kids. If they know what's expected, they're much more likely to meet that. Um, and with that, you have to be very consistent. Um, you have to revisit those expectations and norms as often as needed, um, sometimes with the whole class, sometimes with just one student. Um, definitely follow through. If you say you're going to do something, whether it be a reward or a consequence, you need to follow through with it. 
because that makes you credible to the student. Absolutely. Um, being genuine is definitely something that um, I've noticed kids know if you're genuine with how you're approaching them and the more genuine you are with them, um, they respond to that in a positive way and they, they want to respect you and they want to respect your expectations. Um, and then the, the main thing, I guess, that I feel is kind of the core of everything is the relationships that we build. And if you can build those relationships from day one and, and work on that throughout the year, it may take you till, till the last day to, to really get to that one student. But if you, you just don't give up, you keep working on building those relationships, it's going to make everything flow a lot smoother from my experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that relationship piece is foundational. Um, and it always makes me think of the quote by Dr. James Comer. He said, no significant learning can occur without a significant relationship. And I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, and you were talking about the clear expectations and practicing and revisiting those and the norms. And that makes me think of Harry Wong. You all familiar with Harry Wong? The first days of school. Have you heard of that book? No, I haven't. So Harry Wong, um, he shares on classroom management, kind of a three-step approach to teaching classroom procedures, explain, rehearse, and reinforce. And so that's what came to mind as you were talking about, (laughs) you've got to practice them, you've got to model them, you've got to revisit them. So yeah, those those are great thoughts. Heather? Yeah, and kind of along the same lines, uh, my first one was consistency with your expectations for mm-hmm. all students. And and that's, I think, part of that building relationships. And like she was talking about, um, students know if you're genuine with them mm-hmm. um, because you're consistent with everyone and you're the same and you're fair all the way across the board. It's not certain kids that stick out that have a target on their back that you're gonna make sure you enforce those rules with. The rules are the same for everyone. And if you have genuine relationships with all your students, you know, or you're working hard for that, then you're gonna guard to make sure everyone feels welcome. Everyone feels a part of the classroom. Even that hardest one, you're still gonna find something that you can uh, find in them to work with them on those consistencies with the expectations. Um, another one was preventative measures, you know, like um, don't um, set your students up for failure. You know, like she said at the beginning of the year, have those expectations of what you want to see, you know, whether it's a seating chart or where you put things or whatever, or, you know, for me, getting instruments out or when do we touch the instruments? We don't just walk into the room and start playing on them or, you know, um, and even with a seating chart even on the first day of school, I don't make it out ahead of time. I want to get to know the kids. And even though I've had some of them, maybe five, six years, I still want to see the vibe of the room. As So I'll just sit there and talk to them for the first five or 10 minutes. And as I'm watching them, and usually there's a new student, I'm just watching how everybody's interact, interacting and they don't know that. But I'm, I'm picking up all those little interactions and I'm thinking, you might need to be in the front with me because my goal is to not have to get onto them or to have to correct them. My goal is for us just to flow with the lesson. And I've had students tell me before, I'd never get in trouble in here. Well, you shouldn't be, but you know, it's the fact that I'm trying to prevent that from happening. And it's, it's something I just really focus hard on with them. 
as I'm as I'm watching the room. And then again, that's my third one is analyzing the room, you know, and and that happens daily to it, not just at the beginning of the school year when you're, you know, getting used to your students. You may notice how a student comes into the room, you know, or that morning or what, for me, it's, it changes hourly and I'll be watching just how they're coming in and interacting with me or with each other. And if something seems off, I might pull a student out of the hall and just say, hey, is everything okay? Or is something going on? Or, and I've told them, if something's going on, speak to me. Tell me when you're coming in, say, hey, Miss Helly, can I talk to you? Um, and then tell me what's going on. And I might just not call on them in class that day, but I'll make sure they're on task, but just let them have their space, you know? But I always tell them, communicate with me so I know. Um, and I also think a teacher's demeanor too um, are some of those things too with the classroom management. If you seem scattered or not together, I think that's gonna affect your management um, because kids, especially small ones, will pick up when you have that downtime and you're trying to find something or you're not organized, they're gonna run with it. And I think if you have all those things in place and you're prepared for your lessons, you know, I don't leave my room Fridays until I know I've got everything laid out for the next week, you know, may mean I stay later, but then when I come in, things can just flow and we don't have that downtime for someone to get in trouble or someone to get into, you know, two students to get into it or whatever. My class can just flow then. So those are the main points that I, I had. Yeah. So really creating that environment where all students can learn and succeed. Yes. Kind of fostering that culture in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to classroom management strategies, what have you found to work particularly well? So kind of give us a glimpse into what this looks like in your classroom. Are there any specific strategies that you implement? Heather, if you want to start us. Right. Say that one more time. Sure. What classroom management strategies have you found to work particularly well? Give us a glimpse into what this looks like in your classroom. I think it goes back to, you know, first of all, seating arrangements. Um, I, I think if you know someone's going to struggle with being focused, they need to be near you. Um, it might mean also, um, you know, uh, Sorry, I went blank here. Um, sorry, I'm going blank. <laughs> I'm no, looking at my questions here. Um, try Educators to... are good at wait time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm giving you downtime. Um, I think also addressing um, behavior when it's inappropriate, when it's happening, or if you're starting to see that it's getting off task. Um, our students getting off tests. I think addressing it when it's happening, not letting it build to that point where, you know, you have to correct them, um, just kind of redirecting them. But um, I think, yeah, I, I think that's, those are important issues to look at. Absolutely. Catherine, you want to build on that? Sure. Um, I'll start with the seating arrangements. I've, um, I think they're very important uh, where the students are sitting. And I always, I always um, put them somewhere. And I, my rule in my class is if you don't like where you're sitting, you have to write me a letter, not just a note, but it has to be a letter. 
requesting why you would like to move and backing it up with evident like argumentative piece. So it, um, I have collected the funniest letters over the past couple of years, <laughs> but they really have to think through it and they can't just, oh, I want to move. I want to move. They think through it. Um, they tell me why they back it up. They even might even put in where they would like to sit. And um, so that's really helped me because it, uh, before that kids would be like, oh, I don't like where I'm sitting. I want to move. I want to move. And usually if I let them just pick their spots, it's I've let them pick their spot. I'll change it throughout the year. And I also try to change like how my classroom is arranged so it doesn't get stale. So I'll move different. I'll move the desks in different patterns throughout the year, at least once a quarter. And then if I let them choose where they sit, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but I always tell them that I have veto power when it comes to that, like <laughs> that, that I have the final say and that, um, that I'll have to move them because the number one thing is that they're learning. Um, other strategies that have worked well is just having a, a routine where the kids know what's going to, they know what to expect when they come in. I always have my agenda for each day, like I have the daily agenda up each morning so they know what's coming and they don't have to worry about it. Um, what else? Oh, call and response strategies have been my, one of my favorite things. Um, they're silly, lots of them. And I wasn't sure how I taught second grade before I taught fifth grade. And I use a lot of the same call and, call and response. Um, sometimes it's not even a call, I'll, I'll do the clapping, like a clap, 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 clap. And then they repeat it. and if they're all, there's 20 something kids engaged in activity, they're loud. They're not, and I don't like to yell. So I like to find things like that. Um, there's one I learned at a right to learn conference in 2019. Um, Michael Bonner, I believe is how you pronounce his name is an educator. And he was giving a session and he, he shared some of his and one that I use ever since I've been there, he says shark bait. And the kids say shark bait, hoo ha ha and they clap or they put their <laughs> hands on their table. And my fifth graders love that. They all look at me like I'm crazy when I first share it with them, but it's their favorite one. And if I haven't done it in a couple of days, they're like, Miss Inman, use shark bait. And then, I love that. yeah. And so th there's tons of cute ones out there for call and response to get their yep. attention. So you're not having to say, hey guys, hey, or trying to speak over them. Um, and then I purchased a doorbell, which I thought was kind of, and a wireless doorbell last year, which I was like, I don't know. I saw it on something, but it's actually been wonderful. And I use it when we do our station rotations. So I don't okay. use it for other times. I just, it's, I just press a button at my table or usually the students want to take turns pressing it. And that's when they know it's time to clean up and it's time to rotate. So I'm not having to raise my voice. Um, that's clever. Yeah. But other than that, just keep it anything where I can get them actively engaged. Um, has been a strategy where I don't have the behavior problems because they're so engaged in the learning. Exactly. If, if I can, and then being overprepared, like Heather was saying, I, I'd rather have more to do because when you do have those, those gaps where if you can't find something, they, they do take that time and run with it. I think no matter the age, because I've, I've had those moments in fifth grade and second grade and in seventh <laughs> right. and eighth and ninth grade. And they all take advantage of those moments when you're not prepared. So I try yes. to be over-prepared. That's good and advice. Have a backup plan as, <laughs> as teachers. We know you have to be able to roll with the punches and um, be flexible and adapt. And yeah, that's great advice. I oh, love it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to add, um, 
I went blank while ago, the clap pattern, actually, if you asked anyone at my school, <laughs> that is my go-to. Um, I'll tell you this. I know a lot of teachers don't know this, but those are music patterns. And I'd actually heard some college students tell me about a year ago, oh, they're saying not to do that. That's like a dog command. And I'm saying, that's not at all because they're actually musical patterns. It's fun when I teach my first graders, hey, you know my clap pattern? Did you know you were clapping music? Because those are rhythmic patterns. I learned it at a music conference. And oh, wow. so when I go in and do an assembly uh, to do our, we do our rehearsals in front of the school for our programs and to get 400 students quiet, all I have to do is clap one time like she just did and the whole gym's quiet. I mean, it, it's no strain. The kids know it's my expectation. Right. And, you know, so whatever you have, you know, I've seen teachers use a whistle or, you know, the, a bell or something, you know, especially when they're coming in from recess or whatever. And they'll even do the whistle with that clap pattern. I like that too, because it's something they recognize. But again, it goes back to that consistency with those things, like she was saying, you know, because if they, they know what you're going to do and they love it and they expect it, then they're going to respond to it, you know, and they know, okay, I need to be quiet now, you know. Right. I'm so glad you shared that perspective. That's really yeah. interesting and yeah. so true. And, and what a connection you're making for the kids too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I have, I have seen and heard a lot of very creative call and response techniques and I, I find them to be very effective. Um, and going back to the argumentative letter, Catherine, I think that's such a creative idea and you know for them to have to write that to request a seating change and, and justify why because you're asking them to apply a skill that you're teaching them um in a real life situation so i thought that was a really clever idea thank you all right so we know back to school is upon us and classroom management plays a big role in starting the school year off right so what tips or insight can you share as it relates to just kind of setting the stage at the beginning of the year? Well, I find that um, organization is key. Everything has a home. It's kind of like my motto. It's And everything is labeled. So this has really helped with when the kids come in, one of the thing, one of the activities we do in the first few days, which I know a lot of teachers do is like a scavenger hunt type thing, but I make sure they know where everything is. It all has a label. And then throughout the year, as I'm working at my small group table, um, they, if they need something, they don't have to come and ask. They know where it is. They can go and find it. They don't have to interrupt. Um, so yeah, label everything. Um, as, as it comes in at, or as the school year begins, I think, and then throughout the entire year, not just the beginning, it's really important to listen to the needs of your students. So that can apply to where you seat them, whether or not they need to see the board um, or if they need to be so, some students um, that are affected by things like autism often have to, would rather sit alone. So, so listen to the needs of your students. You can find out from their prior teacher or especially our special education teacher. She really helps me when it comes to where I, how I need to focus on the needs of those students, um, not just with seating, but also with just how I care for them when they're, when they're um, in my classroom. Sure. Um, throughout, I, be flexible 
and self-reflect. I think it's constantly a learning process being a teacher. And in the beginning of the year, like Heather was saying earlier, um, in order to, um, you have to, I'm trying to think of the word, you said it earlier, but you, you are constantly paying attention Mm-hmm. to what, what was the word you used? Heather? Analyzing. Oh, yes. analyzing. analyzing. So yeah. a time that I, I love going out to recess because you learn so much more about your students at recess because they are yeah. different children at recess than they are <laughs> in your classroom or watching them in the lunch, watch them in spaces that aren't your classroom because um, you get to know more about them and it helps you serve them better. And also you can, you can see what's going on that some of them won't show you in the classroom. Um, I always greet my students at the, I have them line up. They don't go into the classroom until I've greeted them. And then you do get to see, you know, if one of them is down that morning and you can pull them aside. Um, My students last year. So I always tell them, you know, if there is an issue, well, we start the year with a social contract. We, I wait a few days where we get to know each other and then we create a social contract, which is like your classroom norms. Um, I got this from, um, a training called Capturing Kids Hearts when I worked in Poplar yeah. Bluff. And I still use that today. And we create that social contract and it's on the wall. It's all based up words that we all agree to abide by how, how I'll treat them, how they'll treat me, how we'll treat each other and how we will treat each other if there's conflict. And we base our whole year around that, like our whole classroom culture. And when we do that in the beginning, we refer back to it often. And this year for the first time, a little girl raised her hand and said, well, Miss Inman, what happens if you break the social contract? Because I tell them if they break the social contract, we're gonna, I said, you and I will have a conversation and then we'll try to fix whatever that behavior was. And if it continues, we're gonna have a conversation with, we're probably gonna talk to your parents that continues, we'll talk to our principal, Mrs. Hancock. So then she said, well, what happens if you break it? I said, well, I guess you can ask to speak to me in the hallway. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, there were a few times that it wasn't Fair because question. I broke it, but they all like, they want to speak to me in the hallway for other reasons, but it was so cute. And then can I please speak to you in the hallway? I was like, yes. I'm thinking, did I break the social contract? But no, it was usually about someone else who had broken it. They didn't right, right. put them out in front of everyone. So the social contract and the capturing kids' hearts is really good. Um, let's see. I love, by the way, that you make that reciprocal, you know, yeah. the social contract. I think that helps develop those relationships and establish that culture that you want. Yeah, that it is, you know, because like I tell them, because they, they love to point out, like if I make a mistake or something and writing a word or I'll leave off the last letter because I'm going quickly on the board. And so I like to humanize. Sometimes they put teachers on a pedestal, like we can't make mistakes, but I'm always like, yes, teachers make mistakes. Right. And if, I yes. do, if I do make one, I definitely think that it's perfectly fine to go back and tell your students, hey, I made a mistake. I'm human, but this is, I apologize for it. It could be how I taught a lesson or perhaps I I got upset one day or something, you know, I mean, yes. but we're all human. So I think them seeing that and being a little more transparent and not just putting that shield, like, like we're all perfect teachers because we're not. So exactly, I think it helps them. It helps them see that you are genuine but yeah, just organization, label everything, listen to the needs of your students, be flexible and, and just be, be human. 
Absolutely. Your best self-reflect and then modify when you do so. Like, I think I self-reflect every day, whether it's about the classroom or anything, but I have a 30 minute commute. So on my drive home, I'm constantly thinking, okay, what worked and what didn't work? What do I need to change? And as this new school year approaches, I'm that's, I'm constantly in this mode of what did not work last year? What do I need to change in my classroom Mm -hmm. so that it flows better so that it runs better? It's just that constant self-reflection so that you can make it better for your students and yourself. So. Right. And that's how we grow, right? By self-reflecting. Yeah. And that's what we teach our students to do. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, Heather. Um, I think all of those things she just said definitely resonate and with me. And then also, and I don't know if you'll have a music educator listening as well, but um I think high standards and high expectations, whether it's with my choir or with my classroom, um, and then following through with those. And I know we've, we've really talked about that during this time. Um, and when I say high expectations um, or high standards, you're firm with your expectations, whether it's for the classroom or let's say for my choir. And I have third, fourth and fifth grade in the choir. So it's not like they're big kids. Um, we just traveled to Bush Stadium Friday. And, you know, my expectations did not change outside the classroom. And I told them that, you know, the night before we rehearsed, Thursday night we rehearsed. And I told them then, you know, what my expectations were and here's your boundaries. And I think boundaries make kids feel safe. And I think that adds to that classroom management. Um, They wouldn't come up and tell you those boundaries make them feel safe. But I think honestly, many of them are craving that is, structure structure yes and when you're consistent when you're firm and then you can relax because you do have those tight boundaries they see you in a loving way as well and so it's a balance of love and discipline or classroom management or however you want to address it but I just think having high expectations is so important and then of course you know again I look at it from a music perspective as well with performances and things, if I want kids to be in my choir, if I have those expectations and they see that it's healthy because of those expectations and it it drives them to want to be a part of something like that or our music programs. I don't want my kids to ever feel, walk into a concert and say, I'm not sure what's going to happen tonight. Because I remember as a kid going to a concert at my elementary school and I didn't know what was going to happen because it wasn't structured well. But because we rehearse and we work at that. And then we also have to work at, you know, management in those rehearsals and, and my expectations. Again, those boundaries, those tight boundaries of this is what's gonna happen. This is what's expected. And I think that goes back to Catherine's as well. This is where things are in the classroom. This is where things go. It all is kind of the same idea, maybe in just different, in a different picture, but again, just firm boundaries, clear expectations, and everything laid out, organized, like she said, you know, because that makes them feel safe. And then they know what they expect every time they come in. Absolutely. And that's a human thing, I think. Like, as adults, we want clear expectations, too, you know? Um, So, yeah, high expectations, um, clear expectations, and setting those boundaries and enforcing Mm -hmm. those. That's great. And I have to hear, I have to ask, how did it go at Bush Stadium when they performed? Oh my gosh, it was awesome. And we get to go down by the dugout. Um, We walked right past the dugout, very, very close. Um, 
And then we went down, it started sprinkling on us, but it did not rain. It just okay. sprinkled on us the whole time. But um, we did God Bless America down at Home Plate and got to see Fred Bird, of course, and then walked back past the dugout of the Cardinals. That was amazing. So oh, wow. the coolest experience for those kids. It's something you can't even dream. It's just an adrenaline rush. So yeah, for sure. They'll always remember that. I'm yes. Certain. Yes. All right. Well, let's, we're going to kind of start to wrap up here. Um, thank you both so much for sharing everything that you have. Um, do you have any final thoughts, any tips, any resources to share, anything that we haven't covered? Any final thoughts on the topic? Well, I guess um, I, this is probably, I don't know if this is popular opinion or not, or if people were, will agree with me or not. I was told when I was going through um, getting my teaching degree that you cannot smile until after Christmas, which is, <laughs> which I feel is a myth because yeah. it's not Agreed. me. And I am able, I think, through the Capturing Kids Heart program and, and just my experience, it's okay to smile. You can be firm, like Heather was talking about, and still be loving. Like it is possible. It's the same way we are with our own children. Yes. So you, it's okay to smile. If there's new teachers listening, please don't think that you cannot smile until after Christmas. I'm you so glad you said be, that. You do well, not I have to be mean in order to to manage your classroom. That's right. right. That's right. And that's, that's the key. I think um, you don't build relationships if you, if you don't, you know, I, I think you'll drive students away and they need to see that love and, and discipline balance because they need to know. And we still give hugs at our school. I love that my students want to hug, or, I mean, you hear, I love you all the time, you know, and I just think, what a great job that you can go to school and hear that every day, you know, yes. but yeah, no, you're exactly right. I think they have to have a good balance because some of them need that because they don't have that at home and right. they need you smile and to be able to give you a hug when they need it, you know? Absolutely. We're yes. debunking myths on this podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's okay to smile. Before Christmas. Yes. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Any no. other final thoughts? Don't think so. Okay. So we have heard so many good things from you all on the topic of classroom management. Um, it's all about establishing those relationships. You talked about active engagement being a critical piece of classroom management, which I definitely agree with. Organization, creating that culture in your classroom, having high and clear expectations, setting those boundaries. So thank you, Catherine and Heather, so much for taking the time to chat today um, and for sharing your insight and ideas as it relates to classroom management. And I hope you and the listeners out there have a fantastic school year. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Education podcast. Be sure to share your learning from the show with others. The Show Me Education podcast is a collaborative project between the Regional Professional Development Centers of Missouri with a vision of sharing best practices and showing you the amazing and meaningful work of educators across Missouri and beyond. Please subscribe to the show to catch all the wonderful content coming your way.